Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Um, today, we're not going to go into markets too much uh, because we're you know we're relatively steady out there uh, in equities, um, but we are going to explore four shares in a bit of detail. And to do that, we have with us Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. Thanks, Jonathan. Good to be back. Hope you had a good holiday. Yes, yes. Very, very good. Nice, nice and sunny down there in Cornwall, which was, which was all good. Um, so let's get into it, Alan. Now, uh, there, there's three that, uh, that you've been taking a keen eye on, but let's start off with one uh, it's been very much an investor favourite over the last two to three years, a massive shift in consumer uh, behaviour in uh, retailing, uh, particularly in, in the clothing sector, uh, has helped Boohoo uh, significantly, seeing massive profits. I mean, a number of acquisitions there, uh, a number of brands that they're operating uh, here in the UK and, uh, and abroad, uh, very strong sales figures and, and increases. However, we have seen in the last week the um, story come out about potential uh, slavery uh, mm. issues uh, with sort of paying people around £3.50, obviously well beneath the uh, minimum wage. That caused a very sharp downturn in the share price. But those, uh, those allegations have been dispelled in the last 24 hours. So we have seen a strong increase there in the share price. Yeah. Now, I think, Alan, there's there's two elements you've got to look at here with Boohoo at this point in time. I think the typical customer of Boohoo sort of going forward may be not too impacted uh, by the these allegations. They're obviously after the lower uh, lower costing uh, close there. So I don't think we're going to see too much of an impact there in the uh, demand for their product. I mean, so, some stores such as Assos have been um, taking, uh, taking down listings of Boohoosh uh, clothing. That accounts for a very small percentage of their overall revenue. However, there is the wider implications on the ESG of Boohoo hmm. because maybe they're not in a position where they're going to be facing any charges for modern slavery. However, it does highlight the working conditions of their factories here in the UK. A lot of them based in uh, in Leicester and there have been sort of certain, certain rumours that these were the uh, breeding grounds for the coronavirus uh, outbreak that yeah. uh, that was recently, uh, uh, obviously, recently caused a, a lockdown. There, whether that's confirmed or not, we're, we're going to have to wait uh, and wait and see. But Alan, which angle do you think is going to win out now in Boohoo? Do you think it's market's going to look through this and say their customer base is uh, very loyal, maybe not too bothered about uh, the way that the clothes are manufactured? They're all about the price. Or do we take a step back and, and we look at Boohoo and say, there's some real issues there now. And with the increase in ESG uh, requirements for a lot of funds, that we're probably going to see a drop off in the buying pressure from some of the larger institutions. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, Boohoo uh, 
have um, well, they're, they're, they're in trouble uh, potentially, um, and I think issues such as modern slavery, and obviously we're seeing uh, you know a lot of movements in human rights at the moment, Black Lives Matter, the movement after George Floyd murder, and uh, and and other other issues, you know, really surfacing. And in this day and age, this the issues of modern slavery are very serious and. Um, although I think a lot of the allegations and uh, accusations have been refuted, the fact is that um, there allegedly some workers in Leicester were paid just three pound fifty an hour, and Boohoo has has built up um, it, it's built up a great following. It sells a lot of its clothes online, and uh, of course it's the the. the Major brands like Next and like um, ASOS, uh, looking at this, are going to th- are going to take the view that uh, they do not want to be associated with any a- a- any dirty laundry at all. And regardless of what Boohoo does, it may well be that um, some elements of this are proven. But the brand has now been tainted, and um, and I know the, uh, its broker, Shaw Capital, actually made the point that uh, the matter could be cleared up relatively quickly, but it could be a, a Gerald Ratner moment, and you, you know, uh, uh, some listeners might will be might will remember the, the Gerald Ratner issue where the where Gerald Ratner actually mocked the quality of uh, Ratner's jewelers' products, which basically led to a, a virtual collapse in in the company, and. Um, it could well be that sort of moment for Boohoo, particularly bear in mind that this company trades on a premium rating and, uh, and you know, has hitherto been delivering a very strong set of results. And it doesn't take much to upset the apple cart. Um, it, you know, th- there's very little room for disappointment in a valuation like this. And the broker's urging uh, its clients to sell simply because the it, it still believes the current share price doesn't reflect the risks Created by these allegations, um, so um, I think uh, Boohoo have got a lot, a lot of work to do to redress the issue. They've hired some directors to actually uh, to, to actually investigate and pursue this. But nonetheless, I think I think, um, I think uh, for, for traders certainly, Boohoo pre- represents a, a great trading opportunity at the moment because of the volatility in the share price after the allegations. Because there is still the underlying strength of the the balance sheet and the uh, and the turnover of the company but when you're trading on that sort of valuation as i say there's very little room for disappointment so um as an as a trading proposition i think right now yeah if you're an active trader you can get get in and make money on the movement but as an investment proposition for the medium term i personally would, would continue to avoid very interesting thank you alan so yes it's uh Interesting short-term play, but whether the, well, I mean, the, the long-term implications of this uh, is something that's going to be um, played out in the markets and also um, through their customers in, in the coming weeks and months. So that's going to be a very interesting uh, story to watch develop. And especially because it is a company that you would think during this period that it's a major beneficiary of yeah. the current lockdown measures. So that's uh, for investors that were probably looking towards Boohoo as one of those companies that's set to benefit from uh, social distancing, uh, you know, re- restrictions that the customers have in, in shops. They're going to probably opt to be online in a digital world. Um, that's probably a little bit disappointing for the longer term holders 
of Boohoo. But yeah, I mean, any company uh, Boohoo size has to be fully aware of its corporate and social responsibilities, and uh, and you know address every issue in that regard to maintain that high valuation. And I just think uh, I think Boohoo um, as an investment proposition are not in that they basically blown it for the short term and uh, it rem- remains to be seen what they can do to to address the issue indeed indeed so probably one that we'll be discussing again on the podcast alan indeed. Uh, down the line so i want to stay on the digital uh, theme uh, mm. with next share alan so this is gfinity yeah. operating in a digital business, but very different to Boohoo, they're focusing on esports. Now, this is a an area that has been growing in popularity over the last three to four years. However, we've seen, you know, with, with uh, social distancing measures, lockdown measures, a lot more activity within this space and a lot more prominence being put on the sector. So, a bit of background on Gfinity. Alan, what what sort of area are they operating and what's their recent developments been? Well, GFNC, um were brought to my attention actually by uh, a, a fellow podcaster on the uh, on the, the Vox podcast. And uh, um, I, I've been looking at them uh, in more detail and um, they were, I, I think the company lost its way last year to a degree, although the results December 31st, um, they announced a gross profit of two million sterling, up three hundred percent. Operating loss of two and a half million down. That's uh, reduced from four point four million the previous year. Uh, on revenues of three and a half million, uh, and also the company has um, two and a half million cash in the bank. But um, the they hired a new CEO, uh, uh, John Clark, who has come in and really really uh, uh, changed the game, if you'll excuse the pun. So um, esports, as you rightly said, they provided a broadcast of esports competitions, um, which take place offline, which is usually from the esports arena in Fulham, um, and also online via the gfinity.net website. Um, They've uh, developed a tournament builder for Xbox One. Um, They have an online TV player uh, and obviously a, a, a very sound a tournament uh, uh, platform for for PCs. Um, there, it's a huge audience, as we know. I mean, we discussed Bidstack and other companies in the gaming arena beforehand. And um, in fact, with Bidstack and Venatus, Gfinity have recently developed a, a programmatic advertising partnership across the solutions and and the platforms that uh, they're running through through e- uh, in esports. But what what's particularly caught my eye is just the sheer number of uh, partnerships and joint ventures that they've uh, they've signed up this year. Um, they've, signed, they've got a partnership with Viacom. Uh, they've set up the e, an e cricket challenge, an e Premier League, a partnership with BT Sport, a multi year agreement with Formula One, um, and also an, a, a virtual racing partnership with um, Abu Dhabi Motorsports, which is a, it's a huge setup over there, and um, and uh, you know that really gives them. Uh, it gives them access to the the Middle East market, and also another partnership with Yala gives them uh, access to the uh, to, to, to the Asian market. So they they're very very strongly positioned. And John Clark has really um, worked hard. Um, he was the former chief ops officer, I might add, too, which which also so he's actually come up um, at the from the coalface uh, running the business, and he's really 
kicking the business into shape, you know, trimming costs down and getting the company lean and fit. But um, I, I, I do think that, uh, you know, given the sheer size of the marketplace, I think it's something like two. 2.2 billion gamers worldwide, which of course is huge, um, and and also the the growth in their channels too. They've um, they they now have more than 10 million users, um, and they generated 31 million impressions across all their platforms in April, um, and they have benefited from the lockdown too. So I think they're at a very interesting juncture, and uh, the share price has certainly steadily risen this week. We're looking at the market cap now, 23 million. Uh, shares trading at uh, just over 3p, as high as 6.5p on the year and as low as 0.3p. So very much on the up um, and uh, uh, one to watch for the future. Yes, certainly uh, it's uh, it's a sector very interesting. Uh, Advertising technology, uh, I think, you know, the the companies that are able to build a base throughout this uh, are going to set themselves up for a very strong expansion on the other side of, of COVID-19, huge changes in the advertising industry over the last 10 years. Uh, Gfinity is an example of that. We've spoke about uh, Bidstack and other companies uh, very recently that are producing uh, innovations within the sector. I don't think all of them are going to survive, but I do think those ones that are able to harness the attention of users for the advertisers with this new form of media, it's going to be very, very strong. And certainly Gfinity seem to be one of those companies that are gaining that uh, that attention. So very interesting company there. And one uh, we'll touch on again there, Alan, I, th- I think in the future, we'll, we'll keep a close eye on that one. Yep. So that's very much a growth stock. But let's move on to a couple of companies now which I would argue would probably fall into to the value category. Um, and that's and probably looking for a recovery in the share prices as, as opposed to sort of pushing on to uh, uh, through the growth. And the first one, they're both actually commodity companies. The first one, Alan, uh, Zanaga. So this is a company operating uh, in Africa, in, uh, in Congo, yeah. very much focused on iron ore. They have a JV with Glencore, which uh, will tick a lot of boxes for investors out there uh, with such a big player involved in in the project. But what's been happening there recently? Well, uh, this was uh, brought to my attention by uh, by uh, uh, Riz on, on Twitter, and uh, I thank him for this. And, and I have been aware of Zanaga, and uh, I think uh, on the iron ore front, my, my primary focus of late has been uh, via Cadence Minerals on the Amapa Iron Ore project. Um, and, of course, Cadence also have um, a, a substantial investment into MacArthur Minerals, TSX and ASX-listed company, um, who own the Lake Charles Iron Ore project in Australia. Um, and they there have a takeoff agreement with Glencore. So Glencore, obviously, one of the largest mining and commodity uh, um organizations in the world um, a huge company um, so anywhere they invest and get involved with um, always, always piques my interest and particularly with MacArthur Minerals when they announced last year the joint venture with Glencore the share price both of uh, MacArthur Minerals and Cadence went through the roof so um, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, at the Zanaga project here Currently, the company's worth 16 million. The shares are currently trading at uh, just over 6p. 
year high of 15 pence and the year low of, of three pence. So not a huge amount of movement. But um, uh, the, there's an Argranon project. There is a company called Jumel, um, which is the joint venture company um, uh, between Glencore and Zanaga Iron Ore. So that's kind of the operating company for this project. Now, it is a huge project by any standards. It's one of the largest iron ore uh, resources in Africa and, and the world. Um, and it's, uh, it's got a resource of some 6.8 billion tonnes, which, of course, is absolutely enormous. Um, the other attraction of this is that um, it's got a very low waste to ore strip ratio, um, very easy to get the ore from the ground, um, and also the the, uh, the the extraction costs and getting uh, getting the cost to market uh, is cost cost the company somewhere in the region of twenty four to thirty dollars per dry ton. So of course, iron ore is currently selling at uh, eighty to ninety dollars. The um, the uh, the uh, collapse of the the uh, Vale Dam in Brazil has seen a squeeze on the iron ore price, and indeed throughout the COVID crisis, it's held up very strongly. Um, so. So that, that so that there are a lot of boxes ticked already with that. The company are uh, in the process of looking at developing an offshore floating port facility to get the ore to market. Um, they've also signed a, 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 a an agreement. This is Jumel, the the joint venture company with the China Development Infrastructure Corporation. Uh, that that'll be a takeoff agreement uh, to supply iron ore, uh, obviously through to China. Um, and um, it's just the everything seems to be falling into place. They. They recently signed a, a, a subscription agreement with Shard Merchant Capital, raising uh, about 800 to a million um, uh, through the subscription of an additional 21 million shares. And of course, that's a very cheap way for them to raise money. Um, and uh, I, I think uh, currently with the market cap they have and given the progress they've made, this company uh, looks to me to be materially undervalued. So um, uh, I think if we... if the, the, the more developments we see this year, the closer we see it uh, coming to market, I think uh, we're going to see a very interesting uh, um, year to 18 months uh, in prospect for Zanaga. Indeed, indeed. And I think, you know, as we start to see, I mean, obviously very much linked to the price of, uh, of iron ore. Yeah. And I think as we start to see this recovery on a global basis, I mean, China have been posting some very encouraging manufacturing data, which suggests greater demand for commodities going forward. I think if you're looking at a company as an island down at about 5p, um, very interesting and, and definitely worth considering albeit being towards the higher risk end of uh, equities listed in London. Um, um, and, yeah. and also just to reiterate your point there, John, it, it, Jonathan, it is very much, uh, you know, it, it's an iron ore play. So clearly uh, totally dependent on the, the iron ore price. But um, certainly the given, uh, and I've said this uh, before, and this applies not just to iron ore, but to, to, to all commodities and, you know, I'm talking copper, uh, platinum, gold, um, silver, and so on. Given the COVID crisis and the amount of money printing and uh, monetary stimulus pack packages that are being put into place by governments around the world, effectively, fiat currencies are becoming devalued. Um, and uh, it's making the investment uh, case for commodities, uh, tangible assets, ever stronger. And um, I think given as well that uh, we've said this before, Jonathan, that uh, the mining sector, you know, uh, certainly the junior mining sector has been uh, in the doldrums for many years. I think this could very much trigger recovery, a recovery in this sector. So um, I think, yeah, it, we're at a very exciting juncture for small commodity uh, mining and exploration companies. 
Yes, yeah, so so with that in mind, uh, Alan, let's, let's move on to the last stock that we're going to touch on today. And this is one that we have gone into some detail uh, on mm. before. This is ECR Minerals. Yeah. Slightly different in terms of the commodity mix of the company. Uh, ECR Minerals very much focused on gold, which has uh, a very different uh, set of factors driving the price to iron ore. But it is a set of factors that have how, has seen... Uh, uh, the price of gold increased recently, and this is this is one of these companies listed on the A market, which you tend to see go to sleep for some time, uh, trade pretty much sideways in a very tight range. But it just seems, Alan, in the last week or so, the share price has uh, has come to life, and we've seen again today uh, a nice bounce there. So, what's what's driving this uh, this recent uh, bout of buying in ECR? Well, I think to, just to uh, follow on from what I was saying just now, the, the, the this movement into gold, I mean, we're all seeing, everyone's aware uh, of what's happening with the gold price at the moment. And, um, and of course, uh, uh, people, investors and institutions are looking for opportunities to invest. And uh, clearly, you know, I've talk, talk, talked about reducing risk and about, um, and about routes to market and everything else. And ECR, um, I've, I've been speaking about them for for, for uh, the best well several years now, and I, uh, and I think the it takes time for the projects and the the focus for the company to come into to 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 uh, to, to to come into the focus for both retail and institutional investors. But um, uh, at, in the recent results, uh, the company announced that. Um, uh, uh, it, it provided a summary of the of the changes and developments uh, this year. Um, currently, the, the ECR has uh, about three quarters of a million cash in the bank from uh, partly from uh, um, R and D uh, refunds from the Australian government, and also from the sale of the Avoca Timor and Mournbull licenses in the Victoria area, and it sold those to Fosterville South Exploration, um, and the Fosterville share price went through the roof. Uh, uh, w- w- when this happened, um, the the company also has an earning uh, for the SLM Gold Project in Argentina and the Dangle Gold Project in the Philippines. But the the, uh, the core focus for the company um, are the Kresik and Bailiston Gold Projects, and the reason for the ri- for, for the rise is, uh, is 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 fairly apparent. Um, I'll, I'll deal with each one. Firstly, the Victoria area in Australia is is a renowned gold producing uh, province. Something like um, eighty million ounces of historical production uh, in the region. Um, so the, the the company's two key projects, which it uh, owns one hundred percent, which obviously is, is very important going forward. Firstly, we have the Creswick project. Um, now the the Creswick license is, is in the southwest of of the Victoria region, and just to the southwest of the Creswick license area is the Ballarat Gold Mine, which is owned by Lion Gold. Now this produced 50,000 50, uh, ounces of uh, of gold uh, last year, um, and um, the the company uh, uh, the 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 region that uh, that is covered by both the Creswick license area and the Ballarat Gold Mine area. There is a uh, there is a geological um, uh, a feature there called the Dimex Main Shale, and this extends across both license areas. Um, now, Kresik has been drilled. They pulled out sixty three grams per ton uh, in, in, in samples uh, on, on that area, um, and they are in discussions with 
um, with, with uh, the third largest mining company in the world to develop the project. Um, so that's just Creswick. Um, and, and that by itself, you know, given that it's, it's adjacent to a producing mine, Ballarat Gold, uh, would uh, would be impressive uh, in the portfolio of any small mining company. But then we move to Baylorstone, which is in the northwest of uh, the northeast rather of the uh, of the, uh, the Victoria region. Um, and Baylorstone is uh, you have the Costafield Gold Mine, um, which is uh, some twenty kilometers to the southwest. Um, uh, Costafield Gold Mine uh, uh, announced a record quarter one production in twenty twenty four gold production. And some 50k to 50 kilometers to the west, you have the Fosterville mine, which is owned by Kirkland Lake Gold, uh, which produced 619,000 ounces of gold in 2019. Um, and again, samples across that region are 50 grams per ton. Added to this, Newmont Mining, uh, one of the largest mining companies in the world, has applied for a license uh, just north of and adjacent to the Bayliston project area. And across the four uh, prospects Blue Moon, HR3, Cherry Tree, and Black Cat. They've uh, they've already sampled 17.2 grams per ton. Um, so, with both projects there, you've got which are 100% owned by ECR. You, we're on the verge uh, of of some major developments, both in I believe in partnerships um, and uh, and potential potential farming um, agreements. Um, either that or. ECR will raise the money and uh, and do it themselves. But given given the the amount of production in the region, it is inevitable that um, uh, sooner rather than later, I believe as well, that uh, uh, both Bayliston and Creswick will be developed into into uh, 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 mines or certainly uh, 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 developments with uh, other major companies in the region to bring these projects to fruition. Either way, the company is at a very exciting juncture. And we're still trading on a market cap of about seven million sterling, which of course is nothing, you know, given that uh, we've got companies that are worth many billions of uh, dollars uh, um, owning and operating mines in this area. Yes, indeed. I mean, a company like this, you know, a very broad uh, range of of projects. There, I think it just needs one or two of those to really come off in terms of having a very uh, substantial grade of gold then things certainly do become very exciting quickly for for ecr so this is one that i do think is probably going to have a steady news flow uh, over the coming months so i think it is one probably and that we'll, we'll touch on again at some point certainly will jonathan yeah so that was the uk investor magazine podcast thank you very much alan for for joining us today thank you jonathan good to be here so Alan did mention there that uh, a Twitter user got in touch with him uh, about uh, Zanaga. Uh, and I would encourage anybody that is listening to this podcast to do so. If you're an email subscriber to the UK Investor Magazine and you're emailed out the podcast, do just reply to that email. We, we get a few coming in and we try and cover um, suggestions there uh, in terms of stocks or, or sort of market themes. And if you're uh, you're following Alan, do tweet him and we'll do our best to, to cover any uh, stocks or, or, or themes that you suggest there uh, in the upcoming podcasts. Um, thank you very much. Alan, thanks again very much for being with us. Thanks, Jonathan.